day to all our listeners. I am JV from the Lighthouse Arabia with you today to cast light on yet another significant wellness topic. To quote Leonard Cohen, there's a crack, a crack in everything. That is how the light comes in. Good day to all the listeners. Um, it's JV from the Lighthouse Arabia Center for Wellbeing. And with me today, I have Farah Dahabi, um, one of my colleagues here at the Lighthouse. She's a clinical social worker and also the director of mental health first aid in the UAE. And we are going to share a bit regarding mental health, but then also specifically regarding mental health first aid what it is, um, what it entails, and the role of, of it um, within the community and our hearts and our dreams, and specifically Farah's um, vision for it. So welcome here today, Farah. It's lovely to have you with me. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to speak about my favorite topic, which is mental health and mental health first aid. Then... I'm going to give you the floor and I'm I'm going to ask you to maybe before we talk about mental health first aid, the words mental health, hmm. what does that mean for you? Just the construct of mental health. Yeah. I spent majority of my life not knowing what it meant. And growing up in a um, you know a Pakistani, Pakistani American home. No one ever said these words, mental health. No one ever said the word feeling or emotions. And it wasn't until my adult life that I started exploring, actually through my studies, what is mental health? And so many years into my career, what I found is this is actually most people's experience. You know, we're, we're so lucky to be located in Dubai where as a therapist, we meet people from America, Lebanon, the UK, Greece, uh, South Africa. And I found that globally, this is the predominant experience. And it's led to adults, you know, including myself at some points, not knowing how to identify feelings, acknowledge them, or how to express them in a healthy way. So mental health for me, it's been so hidden. Um, but I love being able to empower others to understand what it is and the role it plays in our life because such an important message for me was we all have mental health the same way every single person has physical health. And mental health is not the same thing as mental illness. And that in itself was a revelation for me. I think that is such a important statement that mental health is not the same as mental illness. And mm. a lot of the times when um, there's conversations or presentations regarding mental health, I, I think so many people assume it's going to be about mental illness. And then mm. they might think, well, that that doesn't resonate with me. I don't see the importance thereof for me, as I do not live with mental illness. But mental health is such a broad term, as you mentioned, like physical health. Everyone I know has at one point or another visited a general practitioner. Well, mm. you, 
during your very first few few months, you were exposed to a, a healthcare system, mm. but you were born with certain um, or with an inner world already, with a mental uh, aspect of yourself, feelings, thoughts, experiences, that it mm. is an integral part, if, if, and sometimes even more so, in how we relate to the world than our physical health can be in any shape or form. And as you say, very few of us were raised with that awareness of what mental health is. Mm. Feeling and something... But not knowing what to call it, what it is. Yeah. And I think that when we haven't been given the language or permission to feel feelings, that what I found in myself and in others is you can actually feel a sense of shame when you do feel big emotions. It can feel like, what's wrong with me? Or I need to play it cool, or I need to hide this part of myself. And it and it results in this entirely neglected inner world that is actually so rewarding and important. Um, and, and I'll also say, you know, one, I think that it's an injustice that many of our school systems around the world, I know in the U.S., I grew up in Michigan, um, we, we talk about physical education, right? We had a gym class, you know, we talk about what's happening with our bodies. No one ever talked about mental health and said, this is also an integral part of your physical health. Because I think it was the original director of the World Health Organization. He was a psychiatrist and he said, there can be no true health without mental health as well. Exactly, because we are more than just a body. Hmm. And we can't ignore the other aspects of spirituality, of our mental state, along with the physical body that that is an all-encompassing experience of life. Um, mm. I remember now, just it triggered a memory for me, talking about the physical health and, and the topic of first aid. So I was part of a first aid um, team that competed in, in competitions. Um, and I was a, a first grader first and second grade, learning how to do CPR and, and tend to wounds and all of that, but never taught what to do with emotional, well, not just wounds, but experiences, um, mm. what to do with emotions. As you say, some emotions are so heavy and large and can very easily overwhelm, and we are not educated into what to do with that. Mm, you, absolutely. And there are certain crises, what we would call mental health crises, that require often first aid attention. And so that kind of brings me to something we learn in mental health first aid, which is you learn how to understand, identify, and respond to mental health crises like suicidal thoughts or behaviors, or a panic attack, or the severe effects of substance abuse. We also speak about how to respond to the immediate after effects of a traumatic incident. Like, what do you do if a colleague or a loved one has just learned that someone has died? What do you say? What do you not say? Do you touch them? Do you, do you hug them? Do you not? And it's so essential that we do learn how to respond. And you don't have to be a psychologist to know what to do or what not to do. 
Yes, because most likely you will be the first contact to that mm. person, not a trained professional, but a colleague, a family member, a friend. Um, so I think let's let's go to towards then what is uh, mental health first aid training to mm. equip those people, friends, family members, colleagues, to be able to respond in such mental health crises. So mental health first aid is a broad public education program to destigmatize mental health, right? So you learn how to understand, identify, and respond to people who are at risk of struggling with their mental health, uh, who are currently struggling with things like depression and anxiety. So if you notice that your neighbor or your loved one is struggling, what things should I be looking out for? And then how do what do I say to them? And, and also, where do I refer them? So the same way a physical first aider would know how to respond to someone if they were having a heart attack, right? The first aider is never counseling or diagnosing. They are simply that informal first responder, and you know where to refer people. So you learn that, and you also learn how to respond to crises. So it's the equivalent Mental health first aid is the equivalent of physical first aid, but for our mental health. And what I find, uh, you know, one is that a lot of organizations and countries will have amazing programs to destigmatize mental health, where there's awareness. Uh, but awareness is not enough to make change. We also need to obtain the practical skills of okay, I know about this, but now how do I respond to someone who's struggling? What do we do about that? Yes. Because we, we tend to respond to that in ways that we have seen um, our parents or other authority figures respond like teachers. And as you said, uh, many of us were, were raised in a society or a culture or family structure where they were not trained how to do it. So um, we are most likely to repeat that pattern. We can notice something is wrong, but we don't know how to respond to that. And it's not about replacing what I hear. It's not about replacing um, mm. the professional um, intervention and role. It's about being that informal first responder where you can mm. notice, you can assess you know what the initial steps is to support and then to be able to refer and 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 support from that point forward so you that that go between it's yes. to to train people and and empower people to be the go betweens is is I that correct farah correct and i i really believe that we train every day or really empower every day people to be heroes by some very simple and accessible knowledge, you can really, uh, the program has saved lives. So the power of stories, when you say this program have saved lives, are there certain um, stories or memories of over the years doing this that come to mind to, to, to maybe share some examples of the impact of uh, mental health first aid, and especially within the region um, where we live. Absolutely. I've been touched by so many of the participants that I've met over the years. We've trained now thousands of people. 
And what I find so commonly is during that lunch break or once the training is over, they'll approach me and they'll say, I didn't realize that my mother is depressed. I didn't know that this was real. Or I didn't realize that that year in university, I was having panic attacks. They'd say, everyone told me I was just stressed or freaking out when actually I was experiencing a crisis. And the stories that I've heard are endless, whether it's about a child, um, a spouse. I've even had so many workplaces come to me and say, we didn't respond to that trauma or that crisis appropriately. And now that we know better that actually depression is a medical illness, we're revisiting our policies and how we respond to sick leave. And what are we doing to support people's wellness as well? And, you know, these stories are infinite and, and they really inspire me. But what inspires me the most is that mental health first aiders have improved mental health themselves, right? That's the evidence. And like you see it and you're like, okay, what does that actually mean? But when you can detect in someone else that they're struggling, you can also detect it in yourself. And so that means that once you have obtained this knowledge, you're also able, able to care for yourself in a better way. Because the dream of mental health care is the same as physical health care, which is early intervention. If we can catch these things sooner than later, then the health outcomes are so much better. It means less disruption in your relationships, in your physical health, in your ability to take care of your, your home and, and the things around you. It sounds then that the mental health first aid um, is so far reaching because you've mentioned corporate environments where um, some of, of the attendees have mentioned, but as a company, now we realize we didn't respond in the necessarily in the healthiest way and we can revisit policies. You've mentioned relationships. You've mentioned individuals realizing, but actually I have struggled with panic attacks, family mm. relations of, but well, now I understand my mother better. But mm. the gift of, of being trained as a mental health first aider is that the self-awareness that comes with that as you can now recognize certain aspects in others, it's a mirror for you to become aware of, ah, oh, that's an aspect of me as well. It's something that mm -hmm. I experience as well. So the level of self-care for the first aider um, mm -hmm. can improve. And yeah. that has a knock-on effect. Yes. And another thing I find is that these skills actually broadly spill over into any difficult or courageous conversation you need to have. So something that comes up in the training a lot is, you know, one of the action steps of mental health first aid is how to listen with empathy. And when we explore the practical skills of empathy, you know, it's not that some people are, make you feel warm and fuzzy and, you know, other people are just, you know, very blunt. It's actually a very measurable skill. And so I encourage people to use open-ended questions with their partner, with their children, where it's not, are you okay? You're like, yes, I'm okay. You know, open-ended questions, things like, tell me more about how your day was. Or when your partner says, 
oh God, it was so stressful. You actually respond with, well, tell me more. You know, what part of your day was stressful? And so you can actually deepen communication uh, and engagement in relationships with a lot of the skills that you learn. It sounds like basic relational skills. Mm, absolutely. And if we can equip people in that, as you say, on the one side, we can um, catch situations before it becomes a crisis, but we can even prevent it from even occurring through healthy ways of relating um, by communicating in an em empathic way. The word empathy, mm. what does that mean, Farah? Mm. What is empathy? Uh, thank you. That's a great question. You know, empathy is to feel with. And it is on the opposite end of sympathy. People tend to confuse these two topics. Sympathy is, I, I like to call it superficial feeling. So you disclose something to me like, my loved one died, or I've lost my job this year. I'm like, I feel really bad for you. But I'm not coming too close to your feeling. And maybe that makes me uncomfortable. Right. So sympathy drives disconnect, whereas empathy is attempting to feel with and being curious. What is that experience like for that person? What does it feel like for them? It's almost like I'm coming and I'm sitting beside you. I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just trying to understand it. And empathy does take inner energy. Right. It does take it. Sometimes it can feel a little bit taxing. And I'll very commonly have people ask me, well, how do I not take on too much when I'm empathic? What if I'm sitting with them in that sadness and it and it floods me or overwhelms me? And that's where I would say it's so important to be mindful of your energy levels. And one of the pillars of first aid conversations, you can never approach or assist someone else if you're depleted, if you're not okay. You always have to make sure you're okay first. And you do have that energy reserve so you can sit with someone, understand. But another essential part is after you've had a first aid conversation or any difficult one is that you check in with yourself. What did that touch in me? What did that bring up in me? Who can I debrief with? Or what type of self-care do I need to replenish my resources? So the difference I hear between empathy and sympathy is empathy, I come and sit beside you. Mm. I don't get in the situation with you. It's not like I'm climbing into your boat. Mm -hmm. I'm bringing my boat a bit closer so my boat is next to yours. Mm. So that it does not overwhelm and and. Um, make me want to disconnect it makes it easier for me to move closer so that yes. I can 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 ask tell me more about it that I can accompany you in a way that I'm able to stay in the moment with you hear what you're sharing with me and mm. lean into it tell me more about that yes. what was the best part of that What's your deepest fear regarding that? Um, yes. Why is that important? 
What, what what's mm. the importance of empathy within mental health? Mm. Empathy drives that connection, right? So I I feel or I know that you can actually feel so close to someone when you feel understood and heard, closer than a hug. Um, and a huge part, a hu- an essential reason why empathy is central to our mental health is, well, it makes us feel good, right? Like we're like, oh, you understand me, you see me. And I think an inherent need that we have as children, as adults is, do you see me? Do you understand me? And so it's feeling heard. And we know that when we feel heard or when someone responds with empathy, it actually physically soothes us. That moment of empathy is an intervention in itself where you can make that person's path a little less painful. And I do believe we have a responsibility that even if you do not learn how to respond appropriately and assist is to do no harm. And when we lack empathy, when we're indifferent or judgmental or we discriminate, we're making it harder for someone to heal. And we never want to do that. And I'll, I'll add that a lot of our very cerebral uh, participants, you know, the especially in corporate organizations and consulting and engineers, they want to fix. Uh, you've almost designed and trained your brain to find solutions in others and in yourself. And it takes a different skill set to be curious without the intent of solving immediately. And if you tend to solve for all of your thoughts and feelings, I promise you, you're doing this in your relationships as well. So before you try to build empathy with someone else, I would want our listeners to be curious. Are you empathic towards yourself? Do you listen Do you give space for feelings to arise or do you simply jump to solution after solution after solution? In a fast paced world um, where it's about the next thing, the next thing, let's fix this thing, let's replace this thing. It's comfort. Mm. It's quick. It's moving on. That has become such almost a, 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 a rare commodity. To create and take the time and space to just be curious about what's happening now without trying to fix it or change it. But first, just what's happening now? Um, mm. in, in the training of, of mental health first aiders, is that a skill set or, or, or part of the training um, in, in, in equipping um, people how to do that well, first and mm. foremost for the, with themselves and then when they are the first responder if you can maybe elaborate a bit on on that of how that translates to being trained as a as a first aider i would say that we do not necessarily um widely expand on the skill of mindfulness or how to be present with with yourself the way that a mindfulness training would and i love you know meditating and how you integrate that but it is a starting point so the same way you start with the gym you know you like slowly go in and i'll be very specific so those those mindful check-ins will be in order to know whether you're okay or not which is the first step of a first aid conversation check in with yourself 
that is presence. Right? And many of us don't actually pause and say, well, where is my mental, physical reserve right now? How am I doing? So that's a really practical check-in of presence. And for many people, they're not ever pausing and saying, how am I? And that same presence is required after a first date conversation, right? Like, how am I feeling? What did that bring up for me? But essentially throughout, because if ever you become very overwhelmed in a conversation, perhaps someone has disclosed that they're suicidal. And as a first aider, you're like, I feel overwhelmed. You must be able to recognize that overwhelmed and get someone else or another first aider or professional who can assist you. So in that sense, I believe we're starting a lot of people's journeys where they say, I'm starting to check in. How am I? And most interestingly, I found this with men where they'll say, this is the first time I've actually sat and someone has said to me, feel your feelings. How are you doing? That this is actually an essential component of emotional intelligence as well. Not reading the room, but what is happening within you. As the point of um, departure, before I even go into the, the response or the engagement with the person that I detected or noticed that there seems something amiss. Mm. The training then, what does that entail? In, 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 in maybe also, if you can elaborate, what, can, what are people trained specifically then? Um, and mm, and then we can go into how long and where, but just what does it entail, the training it, itself? So the training is over two days and we start with mental health literacy, which I know sounds a little bit boring, right? But it's actually really fascinating. It's what is the difference between mental health and mental illness? What are the prevalence rates globally? What does mental illness really look like? Who are the appropriate professionals to refer someone to if they're struggling? And then you learn how to identify and respond to depression, anxiety, and addiction. And the crises we cover are how to respond to suicidal thoughts, a panic attack, the after effects of trauma, and the severe effects of substance abuse. And that, that is what we cover in the course. And you mentioned it's over two days. So it's not a quick um, overview run through. It is a structured, um, refined process. It's not something that is a, a um, quickly designed, put together process. This is an no. international um, uh, yes. accredited uh, program that we present um, and that you are the director of within the UAE. Um, and thereafter, what, what, what can the, the attendees do with that? Yes. Great question. So I'll say that the program is in 26 countries worldwide and the founding, the, the kind of founders or parent uh, organization is Mental Health First Aid Australia. And it was actually a nurse named Betty Kitchener who her dream was, you know, I wish someone told me earlier I had depression. Like if I got help sooner than later, my life wouldn't have been disrupted to this degree. And 
that idea that she had, and it started in 2000, has now spread to 26 different countries. And in many parts of the world, like the U.S., Canada, um, you know, the U.K., it's actually become a part of federal policy, which, I, you know, my dream is really we can continue to do that here as well. And so if you are listening from around the world, you most likely have a first aid program near you. Um, yeah. I forgot your question. <laughs> maybe, maybe I can rephrase it a bit more. More is that when people have undergone the training and now they mm. are mental health first aiders, we have discussed yeah. the the specific areas in functioning where it can be of service. Um, which areas do we then maybe target? where people mm. then can go and intentionally also apply this? Mm. That's a great question. So what can you do with it after you've trained? And one is you can definitely add it to your resume or any CV um, the same way if you had added physical first aid, it's an asset. You never know when you may utilize first aid skills. But if you are in HR or any kind of people serving role, it is absolutely essential that you're able to identify and respond to people who may be struggling. So it's, um, you know, it's an informal thing, right? So physical first aid, you will never have a full-time job as a physical first aider. Uh, And the same is true for mental health first aid. It is an added skill that you have, and you can use it really at any time with friends, with family, in your workplace, you know, or even in the supermarket, really. I think uh, that's why I asked the question is that people know that this is not a qualification, um, Mm. that you now have this uh, certification, you can go and apply for something, this is to enable you in everyday life, no matter the, what your role is. It will enhance yeah. um, your your functioning in whatever your role is. But there yeah. are specific yeah. roles that I think might benefit um, a lot from doing this, and 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 I think that is also why we um, create a bigger awareness and 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 I know your your dream about this and how far reaching we are training people uh, within the the broader gulf region um yes we we are we currently training um within the uae or where do we have a footprint currently where we have seen the change we've trained people in that those those spheres of the society and where we have seen the impact thereof um significantly Mm. So we are the only accredited provider in the UAE. Uh, We are currently not in any other country. Um, You would have to check the international website to see if your country is uh, certified. But we have been in every emirate so far. We've been in Dubai and Abu Dhabi and Elaine. um, And we have worked with schools, hospitals, government, uh, prisons, Um, We have went everywhere, but I still feel it is only just the beginning of continuing to expand. And our dream is not just to train people and then exit. 
right? They're, because the stigma is so pervasive, we actually have done really hundreds and hundreds of free of charge wellness webinars throughout the year. So we really like to go into organizations and our community and say, what's been done before? And how are you doing? And do you have policy? Or how do you respond to suicide? So the, the training actually becomes one piece of the puzzle. And we're looking at how do we sustain and support you even afterwards? And that's really not just with our training, but everything that we do at the Lighthouse. We're saying, how do we make that, that larger scale change? And becoming partners in well-being and mental health. Yes. It's not a yes. hit and run. We come, we offer something, we leave you with a few skills and, and some input, and then we leave. It's mental health mm -hmm. first aid training is one aspect of how we approach mental health and the awareness and and assisting schools, um, corporate environments, yeah. um, and other other social systems in which to enhance the awareness and also the general well-being by yes. giving that ongoing assistance along with mm -hmm. the mental health first aid training for the individuals within that sphere. Yes, and something really exciting that happened last year with Mental Health First Aid was we had the first government, one of the government entities in the UAE, made mental health part of policy. And they were the first government organization to call it mental health. Because in the region, we find people call it the happiness movement, which is a great initiative in the country. But it was a win for it to be called mental health. Um, and, you know, we're very, very early days in the program. When we would go into corporate organizations, they wouldn't call it mental health first aid because there was so much stigma. They would call it wellness first aid. And, the, and you know, so when we were walking to the conference room outside, people didn't want others to know that the training was called, that they were attending was called mental health first aid. They would say wellness first aid, emotional first aid. And we've come quite a far way since then, uh, but there's still a long ways to go. That is such a beautiful story. To reflect back and, and to see, okay, this is where we started. Um, and this mm. is the extent of the stigma that when we entered into this space of trying to create more of an awareness that now... It's the, the official uh, name and, and, well, it's been the official name, but used in corporate environments where it's not been called something else to, to almost um, put it softly or hide it in a certain way or package it in a way that is, is, is um, uncomfortable. Mm. And that only speaks of, of how far we have come with destigmatizing mental health. Yes. And as you say, this is not where we want to end. Mm. And I'll share that when I think about some of that journey that we've been on. Another thing that I observed with many of our community partners was that even when you train several mental health first aiders, you immediately begin to see change in individuals, in teams, in groups. But when senior leadership or the leaders are not engaged or they are not also walking the walk, that it becomes a barrier to seeing sustained culture change. And it's like in families. If mom and dad say, 
you guys need to eat healthy. You need your vegetables and, and mom and dad are also not eating healthy. You will not see sustained culture change. And you can see organizations like little families, but also larger countries, right? Where we're saying the more and more government and leadership get involved, the more other smaller organizations and families are saying, okay, this matters. And it gives others permission to delve into the world of mental health or just acknowledge it. Mm. It's interesting that you use the word permission. That, mm. that we're in a state where we need permission. We need to receive permission to just acknowledge what we're feeling. Mm. Um, so on the one side, that it, it, it saddens me about the, 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 the need for permission in so many areas to, you're allowed to feel that way and you're allowed to, to think that. You're allowed that being allowed mm. To, to be, essentially, um, but h- how mm. much ground has been broken in the recent years that um, having government as partners within this now, that is, that mm. is so exciting um, mm. to know, okay, but this can only grow and become more and change a country, change a, a society, where if if people in senior senior positions and 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 places of authority also support it then we see cultures change and and with culture i'm referring to not a a country but a, any social sphere has its culture families schools um friend friendship circles um corporate mm-hmm. environments how from if if influential people yes realize the importance and they support this and they make it a a mandate that their employees or partners be trained in this so we can create better and healthy environments for everyone we can change yes. the world <laughs> let's think big we can change the world Absolutely. It reminded me of, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I believe that I'm Oprah's number one fan. And when her show ended the, uh, the Oprah Winfrey show, she said, you all have a stage in your life, right? Now, where will you use your voice? I love hearing you say that we all lead someplace in our life, even if it's not, you know, a country where you, you can make a difference by really feeling your feelings And by acknowledging your own mental health, there are these ripple effects that take place in the world around you where every every small act matters and makes a difference. Absolutely. If people listening to this podcast now are interested in being trained so that they Mm. first and foremost have the skill to relate in a different way when they notice crises, but... Um, even further than that for the, the, uh, uh, a, a school environment or for a corporate environment, what is the steps they need to take to receive training in mental health first aid? 
So if you're looking to be trained in the UAE, you would visit the lighthousearabia.com and go to our events page. And you'll find that we do public trainings every single month. Uh, if you'd like to have a bespoke training just for your community or your organization, you would simply go to our website, send us an email. They'll most likely connect you to me. And then we would be asking you some questions and taking the conversation further from there. We do have three different programs right now. So we have the adult to adult program. So if an adult you know, wanting to respond to another adult. We have adult to adolescent. So if you're a parent, a teacher, working in a school environment. And we also have the teen to teen program, which is much shorter. It's four hours. And it's teens learning how to respond to their friends or someone who may be struggling. And, you know, what we find with teens is they really take on their friends' problems. You know, they try to be the therapist and the counselor. And so the program is really about empowering them to get a responsible adult involved as soon as possible. And that responsible adult is usually an adult first aider. I'm so excited about teen to teen mental health first aid as well, just in therapy, hearing the burden of, of um, friends sharing with friends because they don't feel comfortable. And we know we've been teenagers you don't go and speak to your parents about many things. So you, you, you share it with your friends and they do not know what to do with that necessarily. And yes. just how if, if at such an early age, we can intervene there already hmm. to build a healthy or, or facilitate a healthy relationship with mental health. Hmm. What in 10, 20, 30 years, a generation might look like who who have been trained regarding mental health as adolescents already yes and it's interesting what i find in the teen to teen trainings is i've had so many teens say to me i ask them what stops you from telling your parent that you're struggling or someone you know an adult in your life particularly parents and they'll say they don't listen they just they try to fix it or they begin to parent. And again, the importance of empathy and listening that when another adult comes to you or, or your child comes to you, to be very curious, to have that empathy and listening actually makes a huge difference in that person then eventually seeking help. You must listen first before I may also absorb or take your advice as well. And I'll see that, you know, the role of a first aider is not to convince someone to go to therapy or convince them to see a GP. It's how do I give them the right information so that they can make an appropriate decision for themselves? Because most people don't even know what things like depression are. And if I do know, well, where do I go? Who do I talk to? Who's the right person? You know, we often see that um, especially in the UAE, people will be seeing life coaches, and which can be a great resource, but they're not trained in treating things like depression. So even that education is, is, is part of the program. Yes. I, I read a, a short fable or, or a story yesterday um, regarding, I can't remember it's, where I read it, somewhere in my wormhole searches on the web but it's it's the story about a, a young boy who
who goes into the river to take a bath, but he can't swim. And mm. then he nearly drowns. And in his cry for help, uh, 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 an older man walks uh, closer, seeing this boy struggle, and then asks him, what is, what's he doing in the water? Um, mm. And the boy tells him, please help me, I can't swim. And then he says, but if you can't swim, why did you get into the water? And the boy says, well, at this moment, I need you to help me, save me from, from drowning, then you can lecture me. Mm. Um, and that, to what you mentioned now with the teenagers saying, but I don't speak to them because they're either going to lecture or parent or try and solve. They do not listen where I'm at in that moment. And I think that sounds like it forms an integral part of mental health first aid is listening so yes. learning how to listen with empathy and then being equipped to um, refer that person um, to the appropriate services yeah. um, where it's not your responsibility or your role to convince or intervene you are mm. there to notice to assess to understand now, having a vocabulary and a broader knowledge of mental health, to give the necessary support in the moment, but then knowing what is the necessary referral, the information, where you can, can or what you can um, guide this person, where they can find the appropriate help. And that's mm. your role, that in between. Absolutely. Uh, the if, 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 what has been the most significant or enriching thing about mental health first aid for you personally? Wow. You know, thank you for asking me that. The most enriching thing for me has been day two of the training every single time because you know, day one, I, I see myself as chipping away. You know, maybe I see myself as a sculptor. And we're chipping away at so much misinformation around depression and anxiety. And day two, when people log in or I see their faces, I can see the stigma has melted away. And the way they began uh, role-playing empathically, the way that they speak about their feelings or what's coming up for them, my heart is full. Because I know that they will take that empathy and curiosity into their families, into their workspace, towards themselves. And that has been the most enriching experience. It's also what I wished I knew when I was younger. I wish long ago in my journey that I had known all of this information sooner. I had heard people talk it, you know, mental health. I started hearing it. But I hadn't heard someone speak it from the heart. And I, I think that, you know, not to toot our own horns as instructors, but, you know, we are a band, uh, really a team of instructors that this is our life calling. And I think people feel that. Uh, but that has been the most enriching to me, seeing people find themselves and that compassion towards, towards um, the people in their lives. Farah, thank you very much for your time and for sharing a bit more with us about your passion for mm. uh, mental health, 
for creating a broader awareness for destigmatizing mental health, specifically here in the UAE, and mm. for the service that you render with the dedication and the passion that you have for it. So thank you for sharing some of that with us today. And thank you for your time. Thank you for having me.